Welcome to another Tabletop Ramble, your base for all tabletop gaming. I'm your host, Jacko. On this week's show, you are going to be stuck with just me, myself and I, as I take a delve into one of my favourite games, Mythic Battle Pantheon. In the Kickstarter kickaround, it's only right that we take a look at Mythic Battle Ragnarok. But before all that, is this week's Tabletop Gaming News. of this week's news is all going to be coming from Mantic Fest online. Now I know I've been accused of being a Mantic fanboy and well yep to be fair I must admit I do like a lot of their products. Anyway first up in the news is that they have announced that Firefight is getting a new second edition. The new Firefight will share some of the rules common with Dead Zone and will even utilise D8s and is aimed to be played on boards between 3x3 all the way up to 6x4. The other key concept was to make sure that Firefight played almost as quickly as Dead Zone. Part of the beauty of Dead Zone is that there's no measuring and instead you just move from cube to cube. Now although Firefight isn't going to have cubes and we'll still be using rulers and tape measures, what they're trying to do is make it a lot easier by just using line of sight and movement from the squad leader, similar to what you find in Star Wars Legion. So basically this way, all you have to do is worry about measuring one character and the rest of the support figures within that unit, you'll just be able to push them up with the leader. There are beta playtest rules available, free to download, and I'll provide a link for them up on the website. Second up from Mantic Fest was the announcement of Amada is getting quite a few updates really. The first of which is that they're getting some extra large ships, they'll be coming out early May. You'll be able to pick up a Bazillion Dictator, an Orc Ripper Hulk, a Dwarf Dreadnought, and Empire of the Dust Monolith. There's also going to be a Caesar Flame supplement with new scenarios, rules for flyers, use of magic, and lots of lore to expand on the world of Panaphore, and we'll be introducing four new factions. This will be available in July. The first of these four factions will be called the Twilight King Fleet. These will also be available in July. There's also going to be an Elf Fleet that's coming out in September. The last bit of news from Mantic was a real sneak peek, really, called Overdrive. Now, by the looks of it, I'm pretty certain this is to do with Dreadball. Other than that, we're not too sure what, because it just showed us a quick maybe minute clip of a cartoony graphics. Some of the pictures clearly depicted characters that are already in Dreadball, so this is one pretty certain. Plus it had statements on it coming up saying things like, are you ready coach? So exciting things. Now Dreadball, I make no secret about it, is one of my favourite games, so really looking forward to this. Recently I've been going on a lot about Stargrave. Well now I'm going to give you a slight alternative. This one is more focused on solo play. Although in Stargrave you will be able to play solo, this game is purely solo. This is called Five Parsecs From Home. So Modiphius have announced that Five Parsecs From Home is a solo adventure war game where you're going to assemble a ragtag crew of galactic trailblazers and head out to explore the stars, pick up jobs and every now and then engage in some action-packed sci-fi combat. Battles are procedurally generated with huge combinations of enemies, weapons, battlefield circumstances and objectives where fighting rivals or carrying out jobs. This is another game that is considered miniatures agnostic, meaning that there will not be a range of their own particular minis that you have to use. Instead, you can use any minis you like that you feel fit your team. 
I'm finding these types of games really appealing at the moment. As I've said before, shelf space at the moment is at a real premium. And so being able to have one set of minis that can play multiple games is absolutely fantastic in my book. This is available pre-order now with shipping scheduled for May. Although as soon as you do order, you will be able to pick up a free copy of the PDF. And finally, FFG have announced that Venom will be coming to Marvel Champions. So Venom is a character that first appeared in the comics during the 1980s. He's become quite a well-renowned, I suppose, anti-hero, as he has had quite fierce battles against the likes of Spider-Man and various other Marvel heroes. But he's also not shy in sticking up for the underdog against certain oppressors. Venom is one of my personal favourite characters, so I'll be quite intrigued to see just how well he plays in Marvel Champions. And this is just another great addition to this very popular card game. This week, guys, there is no guest. You are stuck with yours truly. All on my own, with no backup. So this is going to go either horribly wrong, or, fingers crossed, you might actually enjoy it. I've been wanting to talk about this game before Tabletop Ramble even existed. It's one of my all-time favourite games. I've probably mentioned it once or twice in a few other podcasts. I'm talking about the epic Mythic Battles Pantheon. I've got to cast my mind back to the autumn of 2016 when the on-tabletop guys were called Beast of War. I was watching one of their YouTube videos and it said, play through Mythic Battle Pantheon. I thought, oh, I'll give this a watch, see if it's any good. Yeah, straight away I knew I was going to get this game. As soon as I started playing it, I was like, I'm in on this. Anyway, the setting for the game is in ancient Greek times. And basically what has happened is Zeus has been caught doing what Zeus likes to do best, being his bit of a ladies man. Now his wife Hera, she's had enough of this and she has had a hissy fit of all hissy fits, quite rightly so to be fair. She decides to set the titans on Olympus. What ensues is a massive battle where Mount Olympus actually explodes, killing many of the weaker gods. And the remaining stronger gods are now weakened and are semi-mortal. So now the gods are tearing themselves apart. The cataclysm that destroyed Olympus has swept away all reason among the surviving divinities. And all that matters is the recovery of the Omphalos, which is the remnants of the destroyed powerful gods and creatures. So the gods are now looking to try to gather these Omphalos to regain their immortality. The idea behind the game is whichever god manages to destroy his opponent's god or absorb the most Omphalos, then they will rise to lead the remaining Olympians in a new pantheon. The gods are not alone in the battle though. In all of this chaos, because Hades lost a lot of his power, he was no longer able to keep the gates of hell closed. All manner of monsters and heroes managed to escape the underworld. The gods see this as an opportunity to recruit the best team possible worthy of taking out their opponent. And so the 1st of November 2016 arrives straight away on the back of day one. I'm, I'm going for this, I absolutely love it. Uh, it goes on for a month. Now, I would say that this has probably been the most enjoyable Kickstarter campaign I've ever been involved with. Not only did you have the special feeling of a great community building, but they had the ever-present voice of Olympus, who was constantly answering questions on the comments. So the voice of Olympus was Jake Thornton, of known as Quirkworthy, and he's been involved in lots of different gaming projects. He was the editor of Games Workshop's White Dwarf magazine. He's done a lot of work with Mantic Games. He's been involved with projects such as Blood Bowl, Necromunda, Dead Zone, Dreadball, a couple of my favourite games right there, The Lost Patrol. He's got tons and tons and tons of things he's been involved with, and he's been going since the 80s, so he's very well experienced in the gaming world. But having a company representative, pretty much his job throughout the campaign was to answer these questions. So all the time, as soon as something was asked, 
it was pretty much answered and the flow of the campaign was always going and building excitement it was absolutely fantastically run it really was so not only was Jake Thornton involved with the voice of Olympus in the comments you also had Leonidas Vesperini who was the developer and communication manager but he would do a what's up Wednesday so every week he would be keeping you update on what was going on and this carried on long after the Kickstarter and it was going even after the game was delivered so it really did feel like you were still involved all the way through anybody who's looking to run a Kickstarter campaign they should take a look at how this was done and yeah take note because it, it was done absolutely fantastic So this segues us nicely into the first part of the game, which is the draft. In the draft, you are given a certain amount of points depending on the amount of players. So for example, in a two player game, each player will get 18 recruitment points to spend. In a three player game, you'll get 16 points. Or in a four player game, you'll get 14 recruitment points. The first player then selects a god. Each god is very thematic to how their characteristics would be in real life kind of <laughs> uh, yeah so for example Zeus is very powerful quite balanced and has a very good range attack which is his thunderbolts Hades on the other hand is very brutal he wants to get his hands dirty rush in and he will regenerate power whenever another character unit dies if you want to think a bit more tactical then maybe you want to go for something like Athena Although she's physically weak, she's tactically very strong and she comes with three Art of War cards which is more than any other god. I'll come on to what the Art of War cards are a little bit later but let's just say having a lot is good. So each of your gods stroke titans are going to have a price cost. The most expensive of which is Typhon who is worth 10 points. The rest of the titans all cost 8 points. The gods, majority of them cost 6 points with the exception of Hera who only cost you 4 points because she is considered a little bit weaker therefore cheaper to buy. So straight away this is going to lead you to an interesting choice. Do you go for something mega powerful like Typhon who is going to use 10 points which is going to be well over half of your cost even in a 2 player game or do you go for something cheaper like Hera who is only going to cost you 4 points although she's weaker will mean you better recruit more hero stroke monsters troops to your cause. So once everybody has picked their titan or god then in reverse order you're then going to get to pick your heroes monsters and troops. Each player continues taking it in turns picking the unit that they want until they run out of points leaving the other players free to pick from the other remaining units until they run out of points. It doesn't matter what you pick first whether it's monsters, heroes or troops. So talking about the heroes, monsters and troops, let's have a look at those. First up, let's take a look at the heroes. I remember learning so many of the stories based around ancient legendary characters such as Achilles, Heracles, which when I was younger I knew as Hercules, but it turns out that this is actually the same character, it's just one was the Roman version and the other was the Greek. I only found that out due to this game. Anyway, if you want to recruit Heracles, the demigod, then he would set you back 4 points. So he's almost up there at the cost of most of the gods and is the same price as Hera. He would be a great character to consider though as he has a brilliant ability called the Herculean Strength. This enables him to pick up trees and uh, pillars that are located on the board and actually do a ranged attack and throw them at opponents. See what I mean? Very thematic. He also comes with one Art of War card, don't worry I've not forgotten, I will mention him again later. He also starts with 8 health and once again I will come back to this later to tell you how the health works. So that's Heracles, maybe you prefer to opt for a character such as Odysseus. So Odysseus costs you 3 points but only has 5 health and you might be thinking well for 1 point extra you know what's the difference between Heracles you know he's obviously got a lot more health and he's a lot stronger and has a really cool ability well there's a couple of big differences 
The first one is that Odysseus has an ability called Cunning, and at the end of Odysseus' action, he gets to draw a card. I'll go over the gameplay again in a minute. I know I've got a lot to get back to. He also comes with free Art of War cards. There's those Art of War cards again. But believe me, having free Art of War cards is very good. Now, there are a ton more heroes I could mention, such as Icarus, Leonidas, Ajax. The list goes on and on and on, but all the great Greek heroes are in this game. I just want to give a mention of a couple, so you've got an idea in your head what sort of things these characters can do. So the price ranges of these heroes range from one which would get you a character such as Aegisthus, who's relatively weak, all the way up to the mighty Bellerophon, which will set you back 5 points. Now anything set in ancient Greece obviously needs its legendary monsters, and they're all here. You've got your Hydra, you've got Cerberus, you've got Medusa. I won't bore you with all their details, but let's just say there's some real tough puppies to pick from. As all these monsters are very powerful in their own right, you won't find any Art of War cards with them. And lastly, who can forget the Lonely Little Troop? Although they only cost one point and are considerably the weakest among all the options, they do still provide a pivotal role. First of all, you can utilise these to be meat shields for your gods. Remember, if your god dies, you lose, so keeping your god alive is vital. Each unit also has their own abilities, plus the best thing about them is that you can keep regenerating them, so if they die, you can always call them back. Any other unit in the game, this isn't true, so if you, for instance, have the Medusa and it dies, it's gone, so troops are very useful. Once again, there's plenty of options to pick from. You could go with some Spartans, maybe some Argonauts, there's Amazons, the Myrmidons are there, or perhaps you prefer the Infernal Hounds. There's so many different options in this game that you guarantee that never game is ever going to play exactly the same. You can pick from a variety of different tactics, so for example, if you want a troop heavy game, then you're probably best off picking a character like, say, Odysseus or Leonidas, who've got excellent abilities that synchronise really well with troops. You might prefer to go more heavy handed and try and pick as many big monsters as you can. The beauty of the draft is you don't necessarily know what characters you're going to be able to pick. You might have a plan of going one way, but your opponent might opt to pick a unit that you was really looking to go for. This does lead to so many interesting decisions and delivers some fantastic games. The game is a re-implementation of the Mythic Battles title that was produced in 2012 and published by Aiello, also designed by Benoit Vot. The original version though just used bubble tokens and didn't have a quarter of the current amount of characters that are available, but still uses many of the mechanics that Mythic Battle Pantheon uses now. When it comes to playing Mythic Battle Pantheon, the first thing you want to do is agree upon a map that you're going to play in. In the card box alone there will be 4 to choose from, these include the Olympus in Ruins, the Prison Underworld of Tartarus, River Styx and the Minus Labyrinth. There are other maps available in different expansions. The Forge with all of its lava flows found in the Hephaestus expansion is a particular favourite of mine. Once you've picked your location and selected your team then you're ready to commence battle. I'll try my best to describe how a game plays. First of all, you'll want to collect an extra 3 Art of War cards, and these will start in your hand. Then you'll draw another 3 cards from the top of your deck. At the beginning of each turn, you'll also draw another card. So you should be starting with 7 cards in your hand in the first turn. From the cards in your hand, you will now select a card of a character that you wish to play. When you play the card, you can then put that piece on the board. As this is considered a complex action, that unfortunately is all you'll be able to do, unless you want to play an Art of War card, which again I will come back to. Once you have your characters on the board, by playing another one of their activation cards, this will allow you to do either two simple actions, which include walk, which allows the character to move across that many areas on the map according to its movement value, or it can attack, I'll come back to combat later, or it can claim an Umphalos. 
If you prefer though, your character can do a complex action. These include running, which is basically the character's movement plus one extra area. Deploy, which I covered earlier, is basically just selecting your miniature that you want to put onto the board. Or absorb, which is where the god or titan is able to claim the Umphalos. Now I've got to the Art of War cards. Whew. So the Art of War cards are extremely powerful. They allow you to either draw two extra cards, you can search through your deck for a particular character card that you're after, or you can activate a second character. They also allow you trigger certain abilities or powers that your characters might have. Or you can spend an Art of War card to recall any of your troops. These troops, even if they were previously killed, will then be regenerated back on the same area as the god. Particularly handy if the god is vulnerable, as these could provide a nice bit of security to try to keep the god lasting a little bit longer. By having lots of Art of War cards, this means that you are able to manipulate your deck a lot easier and give you a big tactical advantage. The combat system is very clever. It's fairly difficult to explain, but once you see it, you'll soon understand. Once again, I'll try my best to describe it. So, each character will have an attack value. We'll take Leonidas for example. His attack value is 6, which means he'll be attacking with 6 dice. Now, these attack dice, although they're d6, there are no 6 on the dice itself. These are instead just blank. This means the maximum you can roll on each dice is a 5. If you were to be attacking a god like, say, Zeus, his defence is 9, so you might be wondering how on earth can you get a hit of 9 if the maximum you can roll is 5. Unfortunately, it's not as easy as just adding all the numbers up together. The combat system here requires you to roll all of your attack dice in what is considered the first assault. In most cases, all blank results are then removed. Each remaining dice is considered individually, each one that equals or exceeds the effective defence of the target unit causes a wound. Now, in Zeus's case, his defence is 9, so how on earth can you get to 9 when the highest you can roll on the dice is 5? Well, any remaining dice that do not cause a wound may be set aside. Each dice that is set aside adds plus 1 to the result of one remaining die. The modifier is always plus one regardless of the original result of the dice. Once the dice has been set aside, it takes no further part in the current attack resolution. The attacker may set aside any number of dice. As an example, if an attacker was attacking with six dice, and the enemy he was attacking had a defense of four, if he was to roll a blank, two, three, two, four, and five, the blank is removed, the four and five considered hits, one of the twos will be knocked down to one, but can be added to the three to make another four, so in this case it would have made three hits. If the character you're attacking, however, has a higher defence than five, say seven for example, then this might prove a little bit trickier. This is where the second assault phase comes in. So once again we'll pretend our attacker gets to roll six dice. If he was to roll a blank, a one, two, three, four and four, he has no fives. So he actually has a couple of different options. The first option is to set aside the one, two and three and add them so he will get just three individual ones. So he's got plus three. To turn one of these fours into a seven, this could cause one automatic damage. The second four, however, would be wasted. The second option though, would be to set aside the one and two to add a plus one to each four, making them a couple of fives. You then get to save the three for a second assault, so he has got one in the bank. So if you take the first option, that's it, it ends there, he's only got one hit. If the second option is picked, then the second assault is needed. The first assault generated two results of five, so you would then roll two more dice. The roll is a four and a one, resulting in totals of the 5 plus 4 equals 9 and 5 plus 1 equals 6. But remember, you had that 3 that we converted into a 1 as we banked it to give you another 7, 
So that means you're 9 and a 7, you was looking for 7s, so you've got 2 hits. I appreciate that this does sound a bit complicated. I must admit, the first time I saw it, I was scratching my head. But once you get to grips with it, it does give a really good mechanic where it does allow you to manipulate the dice and try to see if you can generate better outcomes. Do you want to take the safe option and take less hits or push your luck and try to risk doing more damage? For each wound taken means the track on the character's dashboard will move down that many spaces for each wound. This will lead to that character becoming weakened so they might suffer weaker attacks or have a lower defence, it could even affect their movement. Once you're able to get the character's tracker all the way to the bottom, then that's it, that character is then killed off. Next I want to look at the play area in a little bit more detail. As I mentioned before, there are a variety of different maps that you can look to play on. Each one of these maps is split up into different areas but all these areas are different shapes and sizes. It's not just like playing on a chessboard. Each of these different areas will have a designated terrain type. This could be open ground, ruins, forests, lava, rifts. There's lots and lots of different ones. And each of these different areas could have an impact on your character that is in that area. For example, if you had a character in a forest, then it would give them plus one defense against range attacks and flying units. If your character was in the ruins, you'd get plus one to melee attacks. If however your character was to fall into the lava, then you would have to take an automatic damage. Sometimes if you were able to throw your opponent into the lava, it's another way of getting bonus damage on them. Some characters though, such as Prometheus, are considered fireproof, so it have no effect on them. Another area to bear in mind when selecting your heroes is the rock. So, in a rock area, if your character has the climb ability, it can then mount on top of the rock and it will give it plus one to its range and also plus one to its tag. Another thing to consider is that some of these types of terrain, such as the ruins and forests and rocks, they block line of sight for range attacks. Now I'm just scratching the surface of all the different things that are available in this game. But I'm hoping you're starting to get an idea of just how big and how many options are available. If you consider the different battlefields, the vast amount of characters you can pick from, the uh, combat mechanics, the tactical possibilities in this game is almost endless. So. In my review, I think it's only fair that I tell you the uh, good points and the bad points. So first of all, I'm going to cover the good points. First of all, the miniature quality. It's just astounding, it really is. I've been painting for a few years, but a very casual painter. I'm not one of these hardcore painters who has to paint absolutely everything. But I just can't bring myself to paint the uh, Mythic Battle Pantheon's minis. Well, for a couple of reasons. The first reason is that I don't think my painting would be able to do these miniatures justice because they are that good. I I dread to think that whatever I do would not be able to improve them, I don't think. And I don't think I'm a terrible painter because I'm quite happily paint most games because I think adding a bit of colour just makes it look that much better. With this, I don't think my painting would do it, the miniatures justice, I just don't. And I think my painting would just defile with the miniatures and it wouldn't be worth it. Also, the amount of miniatures is also very daunting. And if I was to start painting, I think I would be here for years trying to get everything done. So I'm thinking it's a process that I don't want even to start. Because the quality and quantity is just out of this world in this game. Amazing. That's not to say that the models are overly difficult to paint. It's just I feel that they're outside of my personal skill set. I've seen so many sets where people have painted theirs and they look absolutely incredible. To be fair though, I really don't think the miniatures look bad unpainted at all, unlike some games, these really don't need it. If you are good at painting though, these probably will be up there as your dream models. The artwork by Stefan Kopinski, oh, it is incredible, absolutely brilliant. It fits the theme so well, the details everything about it, the, in the box art, on the maps, in the rule book, 
just 10 out of 10, absolutely fantastic. The player raids that come with the game are also really well done. They're so handy just to have these sheets so easily available. They break down the common things that you'll come up against. They've got all the powers listed on there. Really good addition to the game. It also lists exactly whereabouts the rule is in the rule book. Just in case you're still not clear on what the rules are. These were really well done. The map's design I briefly went over earlier, very clever, I really do like it. The fact that it's got so many different types of terrain on it that allow you to interact. The map design is absolutely brilliant as well, the way they've managed to incorporate so many different terrain types and have it so that this has an impact on your play style. Massive fan of that. Also like the fact that it has different shapes and sizes, so it's not just a case of I can move forward three squares or something like that. It's you've really got to try and look because some of these areas go around corners and they're actually linked on top of bits that you might not have necessarily seen. So it really does keep your mind working on overdrive. Brilliant. The wound tracking is a great plus for me. The way that when a miniature receives wound it slowly gets weaker over time. A really clever system, really like that. The combat system with the dice. Again, to start with, it was a bit complicated, but as soon as you get your head around that you're just trying to make fives to get you onto the second assault, you got it cracked and it just leads to so many different options, whether you want to take the safe here, whether you want to risk it and push it, and then you could end up with nothing. So, really good system. I've never seen anything like this in any other games, so really well done. And it's a great way of mitigating poor dice rolls. So this game is not only a skirmish game, which I've mainly been talking about, but it also comes with a lot of different scenarios. And it plays really well at one to four players. So there are a few solo missions to help get a grips, but it's nice that, so in some scenarios you can be going head to head against other players, in others it's actually a co-op, which is a nice little twist. Now, as I said before, the game works really well with various player counts. Solo missions are pretty good. The main game is probably a 1v1, but you can have a free player game where it's all against all. I really like the 4 player where you can actually have 2v2. That works really well as well, so yeah, I recommend trying that if you get the opportunity. Having the card drawing mechanic, that is absolutely brilliant. It gives you so many tough decisions because some characters, for example, they might be big and tough, but they've only got a couple of cards, so you know you'll only be able to use them a couple of times. It does really make you think when you need to pull out your big guns. Do you want to try and get through your deck quick and try and throw down the gauntlet? Which is fine, because it will give you an advantage. But the problem is, if you run out of cards, your opponent then gets to pick up the remaining of their draft deck and will give them so many other options. So it really is a balancing act on what the right way to approach the game is. The Art of War cards is a very good addition. Again, it adds some more tactical thinking on, for example, do I really want to get this hero? So therefore, I will use my Art of War card to go and find, say, Achilles, because I really need to play him next. But because you've got a limited amount of Art of War cards, it's a tough decision. And once again, do I want to use it now? They're, they're limited supply, so you don't want to burn through them too quickly. There's so many different variety of tactics that you can try to opt for. You could try going for a big all-out attack on the god to try and kill him off as quick as possible. Or you might want to, say, get some fast little creatures to run out and uh, pick up the Umphalas and bring them back to you, like a courier service. There's so many different options. I'll be here all day trying to cover them all. But the fact that you've got so many different game types and options of styles to play is absolutely brilliant. As I mentioned before, I like the variety of game mechanics in this. You've got area control, you've got card drafting, you've got hand management, you've got dice rolling, there's asymmetric powers. It just gives it so much replayability, it's incredible. Probably the thing I love most about this game though, is how thematic it is. As a youngster, I really did like ancient Greek mythology. As I got older though, I kind of forgot about it. 
when I saw this, it really did make me want to go back and research and, yeah, just finding out all of these Greek tragedies and, yeah, a lot of them really are tragedies, but there are so many epic tales and anything that can really make me invest in the lore and recreate the subject detail. This game actually feels quite cinematic and gives you almost an ounce of what the power that these gods actually held. Take being Hercules for example, the way he's able to rip these trees up and throw them across the land at his foes. It's done such a good job. Unfortunately though, nothing in this world is perfect. And the same goes for this game. There are a few minor niggles that I'll go over now. The first gripe was to do with the fact that before the Kickstarter campaign they said that Mythic Battle Pantheon would be coming to stores and that you'd be able to pick up the expansions there. So a lot of people similar to myself decided that I would only get the core set initially and then I would look to pick up the expansions at a later date to just try and save a bit of money. Halfway through the campaign though this then got changed to this will just be a Kickstarter exclusive so that caused a few issues. I was able to get a few expansions but still I didn't really, I, I felt pressured into getting stuff that I wasn't ready to get. As it happens other Kickstarters come along so the opportunity to pick up expansions have become available. So not the end of the world. And I did understand the logic behind Sony's Kickstarter exclusive because a lot of stores would struggle to store the game just on the sheer size alone of the boxes. Anyway, delivery started appearing round about between March and April of 2018, which was a three or four month delay on what was originally stated. That being said, being Kickstarter is to be expected, so no major gripe. What was a problem though was on the 22nd of May, so literally a couple of months after, a new Kickstarter for Mythic Battle Pantheon was announced. Not a problem, I thought, because it would just be a case of more players will be able to get into the game. Great. The issue was, though, that this Kickstarter was for Mythic Battle Pantheon 1.5. So literally a couple of months after the game was delivered to people's houses, they were already announcing rules changes. And this just seemed to be a bit... Oh, dear. Now, they did offer an upgrade pack to 1.5, but again, you had to pay about $10 for it. As it turns out though, to be fair, there wasn't that many major changes and the first edition is far from broken. So again, it is a minor niggle, but I think it was more a case of, it looked worse than what it was, the fact that they were having to announce a 1.5 so soon after it had been released. Now what you will find, and I'll go over this in more details a bit later, is that the 1.5 does actually fix quite a few of the problems that I'm going to go over. So you can kind of look at that as still being a positive. A tiny, and this is just a personal thing, is uh, the name Umphalos. It just seemed to be a bit, I don't know, it, it's not, it doesn't exactly roll off the tongue. This though has been remedied to tie in with Ragnarok, so not only are they called Umphalos, they're also called Divinity Stones, which I think sounds much better. The Umphalos also looked a bit, I don't know, they looked a bit like chewed up fruit pastels to me, so I wasn't overly keen on the look, but again, it's a minor gripe. One thing that did prove to be, I don't know if controversial is the right word, but it was certainly an issue, and this is the sliders that went onto the characters' dashboards. These would mark out the power levels, and whenever they got injured, you would then move them down. When they first showed these clips, they'd done a video showing how good they were at staying in and they would hold them upside down and they would flick them around and they'd stay in there solid and it's still easy to slide up and down. Unfortunately though, some of the dashboards and some of the clips just didn't marry up that great and so when you did move them, they could be jogged and they could fall out. To be fair, I never really had any issues with these. Um, I don't know if it was just a case of I haven't got around to using those characters yet. But yeah, I really wasn't too fussed. To be fair to Monolith, they even opted to send out these banks that could clip onto the sliders to prevent this from happening. Just because they stated how good the clips would be and they felt that they'd let people down. To be fair, I really did think it was that big an issue. 
when it comes to the Ragnarok Kickstarter, they have already stated that, that they have fixed this issue. And the last issue, and I don't even know if this is going to be an issue, is that following the original Kickstarter on January 29th, is that Mythic Games and Monolith had decided to split and go their own ways, meaning that Monolith was now the sole publisher. Now, like I said, I don't know if this is going to be a major issue. What I would say is that when the original Kickstarter was going, I mentioned the likes of Leo and the Voice of Olympus. Both of these guys were represented by Mythic Games, so those characters will be missing. And these were what you would call the face of the campaign, the ones that all the backers got to see and familiarise herself with. And to be fair to Monolith, they produced plenty of their own great games all by themselves, such as Conan and the Batman Chronicles, so they definitely know what they're doing. And that is it, they are all the faults that I can find. I've tried, but yeah, that's the worst I can come up with. Not too bad guys, not too bad at all, eh? So here are the major changes for the 1.5 edition. First of all, in skirmish mode, they've given you the option of opting out of doing the draft, and they've called this constructed. So this will allow you to create a squad without doing the draft beforehand. This to me seems absolutely ideal if, for example, you were doing a tournament. That way everybody will be able to create their own teams at home. You would only need to take a handful of models and the pieces you need for that rather than transporting these massive boxes. So I can definitely see the point of that. The other thing where it will do, it will save a lot of time. Now as much as I do enjoy a draft, sometimes a draft can take about half hour in itself. By the time you actually get all the characters out, the ones that you need, it does take a bit of time. So if you know what you're gonna play with beforehand, then yeah, I can, I can see this being a good addition. With the troops, they've made them a bit better value for money. Before, like all the other characters, you'd have to play an activation card to get them on the board. Now, you get to put all your troops on the board during the setup phase. So this is only a minor tweak, but it does save you one activation card. And it does add another tactical decision, where you're jostling for position right at the very beginning. So that could be really good. For characters that got the fly ability, these are now able to deploy on rocks as a starting point instead of within the team's deployment zone. A nice little tweak that gives a little bit of flexibility. There are quite a few characters that have had tweaks as well. Maybe they've been given an art of war card, things like that. These are available to see on Board Game Geek anyway, so it wouldn't take much to get your models rebalanced. If you did want to get the latest 1.5 edition, then this will be available during the Ragnarok campaign. At the same time, if you don't want to buy it, but you do want to be rebalanced, most of this information is available online, and you can download the rulebook for free. Most of the changes, though, are just clarifications. It's time for the Kickstarter kick around. So just in case you were wondering why I decided to squeeze this Mythic Battle Pantheon special in this week, well, unless you've been living under a Ragnarok, you'll know that there is of course the Mythic Battle Ragnarok Kickstarter taking place at the moment. So. It only seems right that that's where we're going to focus this week's Kickstarter kick around. So like many other people, Mythic Battles Ragnarok is probably one of the most anticipated Kickstarter campaigns in a very long time. This was first mentioned back in the original campaign that this was what would be coming. They even gave you a special sneaky peek Viking miniature that come in the original Kickstarter campaign. It's currently sat at £984,000 of its £182,000 target goal. In dollars, that's broken a 1.35 million mark. This of course means that once again there are an absolute ton of stretch goals that are being smashed through. All of your classic legendary Norse figures are there. There are a ton of familiar characters that I'm sure you'll recognise. The likes of Thor, Loki, Hel, Freya, there's heroes such as Harold Hadrada, Beowulf, 
and you'll be able to come up against monsters such as Fenrir. All of these look absolutely incredible. In all honesty though, I'm much more familiar with Greek mythology than I am with Norse. That being said, this does look absolutely fantastic once again. The model quality is still up there, possibly you might argue even a little bit better. What is really good though is that they are allowing you to cross over Pantheon with Ragnarok so it's perfectly reasonable to mix up all these characters and from what I've been hearing it still plays really well. If you wanted to you could have Zeus and Grendel taking on Odin and Perseus. To do this they've had to make a couple of changes. The first one I kind of mentioned before where the Umphalus are now collectively called the Divine Stones as the Ragnarok are bringing Rune Stones to the party. A big positive for me is that each of these stones do have slightly different powers. With the Umphalus, when you collect it, it does allow you to burn the card to heal your god. With a Rune Stone, it allows you to have an adrenaline rage surge and adds more power to your attack. And I think this fits really well with the two themes. Another slight addition, what they have brought in, is that they are adding Yarls. What Yarls allow you to do is when you come to the draft phase, you can select a Yarl and these allow you to give extra abilities to your troops. So you could add, say, plus two to the attack when you're retaliating. This again just adds a little bit more customization to the game. There are also a few differences in terrains and talents such as uh, Phalanx has gone. Some of the terrains have disappeared like Swamps and Chains, while others have been added like Divine Source. Some have just literally had a name change, so where before it was Lava, it's now become Burning. One of the biggest changes though is the climbing. They said before they were not quite happy with the way the climbing was handled. In relation to the rock type, they felt it was a little bit restrictive, so what they've done, they've added this as a fourth complex action, which is called Ascend. This now allows any unit type to be able to enter the rock terrain, as long as they're starting in an adjacent area. So this is now possible for the character to ascend onto the rock, but this does mean that they will lose access to some of their powers and talents, because this is a complex action. The climb talent still remains a safe bet though, because they do not get penalised for this at all and they don't have to be stood adjacent beforehand. In addition, a unit with climb gains plus one to their defence when on a rock when being attacked from a unit without this skill. I suppose it's a case of they're not tired from the climb whereas other units have got up there are a bit shattered. Another issue which I did mention before was that titans were considered probably a little bit too powerful when taking on gods. So it was always considered a better bet to go Titan v Titan or God against God. But they've now brought it back so that Titans can take on Gods again. So when you're playing a God against a Titan, you'll actually get a bonus. It's only a little one, but it just balances a little bit where the player with the God gets to deploy a unit for free. This could be either a troop unit or anybody with the Scout. So if, for example, you had a God with a Scout ability, you can still deploy them first. Even though these games are available to cross over, they have said that you will not need to do any add-on packs or kits or anything like that. All of this will be included within the rulebook. So if you're a fan of Viking culture, I can't recommend this game enough. You'll be able to pick up the Norse God Pledge for £87. I'm really happy to say that they've decided to also include an option to pick up the previous Mythic Battle Pantheon, so if Greeks are more your theme like me, then you'll be able to pick this up for £99. And this does include all the previous Kickstarter stretch goals. Now if you like both themes, and you can't decide which is the best option to go for, then it is possible you can pick up both for a combined price of £175. There is also some expansions that you might want to consider. The Asgard expansion, for example, would be one that I would definitely consider. In this one, you'll get the likes of Odin, Heimdall, Valkyrie, as well as some beautiful looking monsters and heroes and normal troops. In this set is also included a double-sided playboard, where you'll be able to play on the Bifrost and the Valhall. If you wanted to get all the expansions, and I haven't gone over all of them, but if you wanted to 
to pick up the Asgard expansion, the Ragnar Saga expansion, the Jormungard expansion, the Surt, the Nidehog, plus you can get additional dice and the artwork, Tales from the Nine World, plus all the guard sleeves, you'll be able to pick this one up for £219. So that's everything Ragnarok. So at the time of recording, there is still seven days to go. This one is you'll be finishing on Monday, April the 19th. Now, I think it's only fair to let you know where I'm sitting with this, because before this campaign, I was pretty much adamant that I would not be getting this. As much as Mythic Battle Pantheon is up there as being one of my most favourite games, I do have a few issues. The first issue is the storage room. As I said before, this is not a small game. The second issue is I have so much of Mythic Battle Pantheon that I don't think I've got around to playing with all the contents from that yet. A wise man said to me, what is the point in getting something if you've already got something similar sitting on your shelf? And he's got a very good point. That being said, I really do like this game. Before the Kickstarter campaign, I was probably about, I don't know, 5% chance of me getting it. Now it's creeping up to probably about 50% chance, I must admit. The game, it looks so beautiful, I must admit. And the stretch goals that they keep bringing out, it's just getting better and better and better. What I do say is, I thoroughly recommend this game. When, when I first backed the original, afterwards I did have a bit of buyer's remorse where I, it wasn't the cheapest. I'm like, oh, should I spend that money on something else? Like food. Um, but when it did arrive, I knew I'd made the right decision. I'm almost having buyer's remorse without even purchasing. So, uh, yeah, it's not looking good, I must admit. <laughs> What's really worrying for me, though, is that they've also leaked. There's also going to be an Egyptian version coming out. Oh, wow. <laughs> Oh, that's another one done guys hope you enjoyed it i know i certainly did i do apologize for just being stuck with yours truly but to be fair i really wanted to get this one off my chest this is one of my favorite games and i've really enjoyed rambling on about it if you've enjoyed this show or if you thought it was absolutely rubbish then feel free to drop me an email at tabletopramble at gmail.com alternatively if you feel like having a ramble with us over on our discord channel while I'm talking about Discord, I'd like to say a massive thank you to our very own Cowboy Pete, who's been putting on some Blood on the Clock Tower. So if you want to join in with that, or if you fancy joining us for any other games, you'll be more than welcome. Everything I've spoken about today is available on our website, so if you want to go over to tabtopramble.com, you'll be able to find all the show notes there. Until next week, make sure you stay safe, stay healthy, and I'll speak to you then. <laughs>